where there's so much that's unknown and so much that's uncertain, I find promises like this to be such an amazing comfort and encouragement, just to know that, that, that there's, a, there's a king on the throne. His name is Jesus, and he's over everything, and he's established it, and he's upholding it from this time forth forevermore. It's good to know, isn't it? That in a world where we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, there is one already installed on the throne over everything in this universe and beyond that already knows the future and is in control of everything. You are allowed to look vaguely happy about that <laughs> if you want to. But also in this scripture, this wonderful promise that of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. God's kingdom, once established, is a never-increasing kingdom. It has no end. Once this has begun, there is no ending until he says there is an ending. It's always going to have this flavor, which is one that increases more and more and more. How is God's kingdom going to increase? Well, verse 7 gives you the answer. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. It's not your zeal or passion. I hope you really are zealous and passionate for God. But that doesn't guarantee this will go on forever. In fact, you don't go on forever. So my assurance that God's kingdom will be ever increasing is not on my shoulders, but on his shoulders. And his passion and zeal outweighs yours. His determination that this little kingdom, which is going to spread throughout all the earth, he is zealous and he is passionate to see this come to pass. And the kingdom of God in the Bible is often described as a seed. And when that seed has planted, this process of it becoming an ever-increasing kingdom is firmly established. In the New Testament, there are over 80 references to the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke often about God's kingdom. And I'd just like to remind you of a couple of scriptures where this is referred to. So, for example, in Luke chapter 13, um, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And there in verse 18, it says this. Jesus said, therefore... What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made their nests in its branches. And verse 20, again Jesus said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. We turn over into Mark chapter 4, and again, verse 26. And he said, Jesus, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. And then again in verse 30, he said, And what shall we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. 
Now, Jesus didn't say these things as just nice little stories that we could read 2,000 years later. He is trying to get something into our hearts and a faith that can rise to believe what he has declared. We moved into our present house about 20 years ago. And the garden was not very large, but it was kind of large enough to grow things in it. Unbeknownst to me, my wife had made a plan of what she was going to do with this garden, but didn't ask me or consult me at all about it. And unbeknownst to me, she started to plant trees. You couldn't notice them, so that's why I wasn't kind of bothered. But the garden was her department. I mean, I, I mow the lawn, but the garden <laughs> is her department, and she planted these trees. And these trees began to grow. And 20 years later, these trees are now enormous. Apple trees, all kinds of trees. I haven't actually seen my neighbours for the last 10 years. They are <laughs> so huge and so enormous. One of them is called a twisted willow. And it has grown and grown and grown. So it is so enormous that it, it goes over the neighbour's garden. <laughs> and now birds begin to nest in its branches. In southeast England, we, we've had this phenomena of parakeets. They're little green birds that kind of got loosed somewhere about 30, 40 years ago, and they've multiplied. Every time I look out in my garden, I see this parable of the kingdom. I actually visually see it, because the parakeets are now taking shade in the branches of this tree that is now so enormous, that started so small. You see, there is a natural process in our planet, in our world. For example, if you have a room in your house that you leave to one side and don't bother with it and don't do anything with it, what happens to that room? The natural process is that it begins to decay, rust, mold. It's a good idea. If you haven't seen your decaying room for some time, it might be good to go and look at it, especially if it's a, still a children's bedroom and there are children in it. But it's a, it's a process. If you leave something on its own, in our universe, it just simply decays. When God plants a seed, there's a process as well. And it's not the one that decays. It's one that flourishes and grows all the more. One commentator commenting on these scriptures, these parables of Jesus, says this. The final outcome is inevitable once the natural process has begun. Let me repeat that. The final outcome is inevitable once the natural process has begun. I have a son called Daniel, and he's six foot five. You just need to know he wasn't born six foot five. But the moment he was born, a natural process of growth began to take place. It says this in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 11, right at the beginning of time. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, planting yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. There's a wonderful little 
Chinese proverb that says this, all the tree is in the seed. It's an amazing statement, but it's confirmed by Genesis 1 verse 11. In other words, when the seed is planted, it's going to become a tree. It's a natural process. Everything you need as plant, it doesn't come later, it comes right at the beginning. We're working with a number of church plants across Europe, and when you're in a back schoolroom somewhere in the middle of a massive city, and people don't turn up, and it's a bit rough and ready, verses like Genesis 1:11 are really important for you. Because when things are tough, you know, hang on a minute, all the DNA, everything we need for this seed to grow is already here amongst us. It may look small, it may look insignificant, but we're a part of an ever-increasing kingdom. And at root, all that you need is there. The DNA doesn't come later. It comes the moment you are established and planted. So what is the process of God's kingdom? It simply is three things. First of all, he initiates it. Secondly, he sustains it. And thirdly, he's the one who causes it, causes it to grow. And wherever that kingdom is expressed, that process is just the same. So if the kingdom of God is in you, he's the one who initiated it. He's the one who's going to sustain it. And he's going to be the one that makes sure that your Christian life grows and grows and grows. Hallelujah. For local churches like Hope Church, if he began it and initiated it, he will sustain this church community and he will cause us to grow. And if you're in a family of churches, same principle. He's the one who initiates it. He's the one who sustains it. And he's the one who calls it to grow. And I just want to spend a few moments just looking at this process. Number one, God initiates everything. It's vital that you and I know this. So let's start with you and me as individuals. Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 5, well-known scriptures, tell us that God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love towards us, made us alive when we were dead in our sins. So if you are a Christian today, you are a miracle because the Bible says you are dead. Now, I don't know what dead looks like in Ipswich, but from where I come from, being dead, there's not a lot that you can do about it. There's not a lot that you can bring to the party once you are dead. And also, there are not various forms of deadness. Dead people, the description of them, is that they are dead. Very often, as Christians, we do love to get people get up and give testimonies. And if you've got what we would call a really juicy kind of testimony, which is basically you've got a story about masses of things that you were like before you became a Christian you're likely to be the person at a guest service that we'll put up because we love to hear your testimony. And we, we just kind of get caught up in I testimonies. You know the sort of things, I used to be a drug addict, I used to have a drink problem, I was a womanizer. And then when I was five, 
I really began to do, and we just all sit there thinking, this is absolutely unbelievable and amazing. And usually those people go on to talk about, and then I became a Christian, and then I... The Bible's description of all of us before we were in Christ is that we were dead in our sins. That's the description of you. But now you've been made alive. How did that happen? It happened because you became born again, and it happened because God initiated it in the first place. The seed, in fact, the Bible calls it an imperishable seed. Something not of this world, something of eternity has been placed into you. It's imperishable. It's going to last into eternity. You did not put that in yourself. He put that in you. And so let me take a moment just to say this. If you're a church kid raised with mum and dad who are Christians, this should be for all the young people who are not here this morning, (laughs) and you think your testimony is just kind of boring, if you are born again, that's as great a miracle as the person who's never heard of Jesus, lived a life way, way beyond Christianity. We must understand And know that I am a Christian because God has broken into my life and he has initiated it. Hallelujah. Hope Church. You have to have a deep conviction that this church was planted by God. A seed one day that is now well on into its process. The beginnings of this church community... The early pioneers who began it might have been stumbling around. At the end of the day, it wasn't up to them to start what would become Hope Church. It was actually a work of God. He was initiating it. And I have to say, when I was involved with this church in the very, very early days, it was touch and go. I would sometimes drive down the A12 back to London thinking, I'm just not convinced this thing is ever going to really kind of take off. It's kind of sobering here this morning to see how wrong I was. (laughs) Why? Because God has planted this church. He has initiated. And because of that, I'm confident of his sustaining power and the fact that he's going to cause this church community to grow. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Even the New Frontiers world that I briefly mentioned just beforehand, I have to say the, the extraordinary thing is, as the years go by, you recognise, you look back sometimes, don't you, and you recognise, oh, this was initiated by God alone. We live these days with a deep sense that only God could have done this. In fact, if you meet lots of old-time and New Frontiers kind of guys, they've got this strange look on their face all the time. And the strange look is this, how on earth did this ever happen? But because God has initiated it, our confidence is in him and in him alone. So God grows, <coughs> sorry, God initiates <coughs> that which he has decided to do. The second thing is, the second process of this everlasting kingdom, this ever-increasing kingdom, is that he sustains it. It's God who waters 
the seed once it's been sown. It's God who cares for it. It's God who nurtures it. It's God who protects it. Let's again just think about this kingdom that's come into your life. Will God sustain it? Well, the emphasis of Scripture is clearly this. Jesus said, none shall pluck you out of my hat, my arms, my hands. I will never leave you, says Jesus, or forsake you. We come to the conclusion, as the Apostle Paul, nothing <coughs> can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You're not carrying God. God is carrying you. Yeah. Underneath you, the Bible says, are the everlasting arms. He is the author of our faith, he is also the perfecter or finisher of our faith. If you know that you are a child of God because the seed has been initially planted in you, you are not the one who keeps this going. You are not clinging on your arm by your fingernails. He has got hold of you and has promised to sustain you whatever happens in life. <coughs> what amazing security that brings to us. You say, well, David, is that it then? I just got the seed in me. It's up to God to sustain it, and I kind of just leave it with him. The reality is this. When God has begun his work in you and me, we do have our part to play as well. So, for example, if I have got this seed in me that's made me to become a child of God, it's up to me as to where I plant myself in terms of being nurtured and grown. So I join a Christian community. There is no such thing as an individual Christian out there on their own that then will flourish and grow. You, it'll never happen. God puts you with other seeds, other people called Christians, called the church. And it's my responsibility to get into that church and to get stuck in. It's my responsibility to ask people, please, will you disciple me? <clears throat> I don't want to stay the same as I am. I want to grow. Please, will you help me and you disciple me? It's up to me to understand the word of God and what it says. No one's going to make you read the Bible, but if you already have got to know the author, you just kind of want to know what he says about everything in life. And so for me as a Christian, yes, I've got a part to play. My part is that I avidly want to understand the word of God and to get to know it. As a Christian, it is up to me to lay hold of the promises of God. He's not going to impose them upon me because those promises are received by faith. So here's another thing that I'm doing. I'm exercising faith in my daily Christian life. But this is the point I want you to understand. Despite doing all those things and many more besides, which is really good, it is not you that keeps the show on the road. At the end of the day, it's not down to you to try and make this work. It's only God who will sustain what he has begun. The Christian life, wow. There's a lot of demands on us, isn't there, to make this Christian life work. A friend of mine who got saved many years ago, very bright guy, Oxford University, he got saved and he'd read all four Gospels within the same week. He just was so hungry and just kind of couldn't get enough of it. And he said to me, after a week or two after that, he said, I've been reading the Gospels. I've been hearing what Jesus says we have to do. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to really grasp hold of everything. He said, but it's so hard. 
to keep up with everything that Jesus asked. He said, it's so hard. And I just said simply to him, it is not hard at all. It is impossible. And that's the whole point. You know you do an alpha course with some people and you're an alpha table and the Christians at this side and the non-Christians at the other side and you're kind of coming towards the end of the alpha course and this person says, I just would love to become a Christian. I've heard this several times, but I just, I'm not like you. It's like, I just don't know whether I'll be able to keep this thing going once I've become a Christian. And I just want them to be born again and come the other side of the table and introduce them to a person. And that person is called the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, knowing that you would never sustain your Christian life, has given you a person within you called the Holy Spirit. And a description of the Holy Spirit is our helper. The Greek word is paraclete. It means someone who comes alongside to carry the load. If I've got a heavy bag and I'm walking through the airport and I can hardly lift it, I'm struggling right mad. If I call a friend over and say, could you pick up the other end with me, please? We just walk together so freely. That's the Holy Spirit. He has come into our lives to say, well, I play my part, but at the end of the day, the one who's guaranteed to sustain me in every way is the Holy Spirit himself. Our responsibility is to let him come every day to continually be filled with this helper. Here, look, Just look at me for a moment. So here am I, and over here is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to help me. If I go through my Christian life ignoring the Holy Spirit, it's going to become an endless struggle. We strive and struggle through everything. And I think sometimes, the Holy, you're getting this, the Holy Spirit is saying, please, please let me help you. And eventually, I run out of all my endeavors, and I get to the end of myself, and I say, Holy Spirit, please can you help me? And it makes all the difference in the world. My friend converted at university, hopefully learned right in the early days, it's not hard, it's impossible. Therefore, I need to be filled constantly with this person, constantly in my life, asking him to come and help and take over. I can't think of a single part of the Christian life where I do not need the help of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned the Bible a minute ago. I find this book so difficult to understand. Well, the Holy Spirit has come to help me to read the Word of God and give me revelation. How many of you struggle with your prayer life? Can I just see an honest hand? There we go. I'm going to put both hands up. Well, of course you do, because you've never been asked to pray in your own. The Bible says pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. I can be an hour praying on my own without the Holy Spirit. It just goes on and on and on forever. Please, when is this going to stop? Actually, 10 minutes without the Holy Spirit, I'm looking at my watch. But when I invite the Holy Spirit to come, please help me. I don't know how to pray. Paul says that in Romans 8. We don't know how to pray. Guess what? The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Worship. We've been singing songs this morning. Did you know... Anyone can sing a song. The Bible says we are called to worship in spirit and in truth. I can't even worship without the Holy Spirit. I mean, I can sing the songs, but a worshipper is someone who worships from within. And so the Holy Spirit has come 
to help me to worship God. Holy Spirit, I can't worship this morning. Would you please help me to worship? What about witnessing? What about sharing your faith with people? Well, it's clearly in Acts that, that the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses. We can talk and talk and talk, but we need the power of the Holy Spirit for us to be witnesses, for us to share our faith. And this is true of every single area of the Christian life. You're getting the message. I'm one of those preachers. If I don't think you're getting it, I just go on and on and on. So look like you're nodding lots, and we can get to the end. When I got married, I thought I got this thing sussed. I think it was about two weeks in that I prayed my first prayer, Holy Spirit, would you help me with this woman? Would you help me, please? And, and, and it wasn't I didn't love her because I loved her desperately. I just didn't understand her. She's weird. She's strange. She's so different. And then the kids come along. How are you doing with that without the Holy Spirit? Children come along and they, they come into your life. If God blesses you with children and it's wonderful. And I, the, the times I've needed to cry out to God, I need you, Holy Spirit. I can't do this without you. In the workplace, there are situations we get into. Why don't you ask the Holy Spirit to help you? By the way, those children became teenagers. That's another ball game altogether. Because none of them are here this morning, I can talk to you quietly about this. The reality is halfway through this, I thought, which is more difficult, raising the dead or raising teenagers? It's kind of like, <laughs> it's just so full on. I have a, an American brother-in-law. His name is Art. He became wonderfully saved, having been in Vietnam and all that. Came to faith in Jesus, absolute fanatic. And the one thing about him that he grasped was his need of the Holy Spirit. Every time there was an appeal in a meeting, Art would always be the first one out the front. Every time there's appeal anyway, does anybody need more of the prayer for the Holy Spirit? Boom, out he would come. And I watched him over the years do this again and again. And on one occasion, there was an appeal for physical healing. He was the first one out the front. And I knew there was absolutely nothing wrong with him whatsoever. <laughs> so I couldn't resist it. When he came back to his seat, sat next to me, I said, Ah, oh, what is going on? There's nothing wrong with you. You went forward for physical healing. Why on earth you went forward? He said, oh, that's, that's, that's just simple. I went forward for general maintenance. <laughs> and I didn't know what to say. Because I thought, hands up this morning, who needs general maintenance in their life? <laughs> And this attitude is an attitude, actually. I can't do this on my own. I need. You might come forward for more of the Holy Spirit to work in miracles. You might find me next to you because I just want to be a grandfather. And I don't know how to do that without the help of the Holy Spirit. That's our dependency upon him. Third and final thing. Well, they're just as we're in sustaining... <laughs> I just picked this up a little bit in the worship as well. For us as a local church, we also need to know that God sustains us and really know that deeply within us. There are schemes of the enemy against Hope Church. Man's opposition against Hope Church. We're living in a world of increasing persecution, coming against the seed that has been planted that is ever-increasing. I think it's fun when I hear stats in the UK think, when they say, we're not sure there will even be a church here in 30 years' time. I thought, you have not read Isaiah chapter 9. You have no idea. And actually, you have no idea globally 
the stats are the church is growing at a faster rate than it's ever, ever grown in all of its history. And persecution, the weird thing about persecution is it's like a, this seed we're talking about this morning, planted on top of the soil, everyone can kind of leave it, right? The moment someone plants it in the soil, tramples it down, pushes it under, Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it won't bear fruit. So the moment you get hold of this seed and you persecute it, you come against it, you trample it underfoot to guarantee it will only grow. I speak to friends in China and India who are both going through their, their heaviest persecution moments. And it's tough and it's difficult and people are being imprisoned and all sorts of things. They say, David, just want you to know there's never been a time when we have seen so many people coming wow. to Christ. Wow. And so many churches still being planted. In fact, one guy from India said to me, it's kind of like they haven't learnt their lesson. You're actually advancing the kingdom of God by persecuting it. You're actually giving us more of an opportunity to move forward. I don't think there's many in this room that has to work out that persecution is probably coming our way, probably in our lifetime. Let us not be afraid because we have a God, hallelujah, who will sustain us through everything that we face. Acts 8, chapter 1 And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered. And they went to Judea and Samaria. And everywhere they went, it just produced more growth and more expansion as a result of that beginning to happen. So for you as Hope Church, with ups and downs and conflicts, we heard earlier in our worship battles that have been fought in the past. Those barren seasons that every church goes through, those wonderful, great seasons when everything seems to be happening, these are genuine battles that we go through. COVID, what was that all about? And all the battles that churches have had to fight through just to keep sustained and keep going. You've had battles over this building because I've watched it and heard you and we've actually prayed for you as a church when you've been going through, you know, will we be able to get this amazing thing? And do you know what the greatest miracle of all for Hope Church is? We're still here. That is amazing. That with all the potential opposition that we face. And are we still here because we've got a lot of numbers of people? Are we still here because we've got great technology? Are we here because we've got elders that are absolutely amazing and wonderful? Or is it that God has sustained us and will continue to sustain us? I think prophetically God's saying something to us this morning. A banner has been placed over this church community. And that's a wonderful thing to keep remembering because that banner represents the sustaining power and love of God no matter what is going on. And this is the point of this. Your future as a church community, becomes more and more secure when you understand God initiated it and God is the one who sustained it thus far and he is faithful. So he will always sustain it into the future. You know, when New Frontiers multiplied 12 years ago into multiple years, one team led by one team leader multiplied into multiple teams. I had friends saying, well, that's the end. This will never work. It'll never work. You won't be able to keep 
a sense of togetherness. It just won't happen. Brothers and sisters, the complete opposite is true. And do you know why? If God is in it, it'll be sustained. If it's of man, it will surely die. Final point. There's a principle in the process of God's ever-increasing kingdom that he grows it. And not only does he grow it, but it actually seems to me when I read the scriptures to always start very small. It doesn't start big and diminish. The principle is it starts small and it begins to grow. Mustard seed. I don't know about plants. You heard that from my early illustration about my garden. But I understand you can't even see a mustard seed with the human eye because it's so small. It's like Jesus is saying, even what you can't see will grow if God has planted it and sustained it. The principle is growth. Just as I was saying right at the beginning, leave a room on its own and don't touch it. The process is it will decay. If it's of God, the process is it will grow and multiply. God spoke to Adam and Eve and said, fill the earth. God spoke to Abraham and said, you will become the father of many nations. You can imagine Abraham kind of looking behind him to see where they all are. It began with one child, a miracle, a promise, and then spread throughout the entire earth. It starts small, but it grows. Even Jesus himself. We don't often think of Jesus as a seed impregnated into a woman's womb, but that was just the same principle. The kingdom of God with Jesus. This is what it says in Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Look at this. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The Bible says many sons are brought to glory. But it began with one. It ends with such a multitude around the throne of every tribe and tongue and nation that it says no man can number began with one and filled the earth. Think of the day of Pentecost. A seed is sown. The church is born. If you track the Acts of the Apostles for the next 30 years, as long as the Acts of the Apostles is written for us, it's all about something small that just keeps growing and growing, and it's never stopped ever since. It just goes on and on and on. And then you, Hope Church, as a local church, Acts 1.8, well-known, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Did you know that growth is your future? Did you know that the principle of what God has begun has no end? And that future growth is not dependent upon us. It's not dependent upon our hard work. It reminds you of this scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, and we're coming to a close. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. I've pondered this a little bit in the early days, I used to come up to Ipswich and go back at 11.30 at night. It's not, don't, please don't think sorry for me. It's just the way it was. The road, by the way, has still not improved. <laughs> There's more roadworks than ever. 
But I pondered this. There are people who come along and plant churches. And there are people who water them. But our success for growth isn't upon those people. They're just merely servants. I think this, it's very sobering, verse 7, neither he who plants, that might have been me in the early days of what you are now, nor he who waters is anything. That's a great statement for me. You're nothing. <laughs> you can't do anything of yourself. Only God can give the growth. I just finished this one final illustration. A lady in our church many years ago said, I'm leaving. And I was very upset about it. I said, why? Because she'd been around for a couple of years. Why are you leaving? She said, because the church keeps growing. She says, and I like it small. I don't want it big. She was trying to describe, and some of you might feel it in a growing church like that. She was trying to describe the, the loss of, that growth brings, the loss of intimacy or relationship or something like that. Now, in our church at that time, we had numerous small groups. I thought she might drop the hint with the word small groups. So I said, well, we've got small groups. Are you in a small group? She said, no, 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 I don't like small groups. This was a really confusing conversation. Why don't you like small groups? Well, because people get too close to you and gets too intimate. <laughs> they get to know you. Yes, that's the whole point. So when something grows and multiplies, our calling is to make sure those things that could rob us through growth don't by wineskins that we develop that keep this together in that way. And this dear lady left our church, and she joined a church uh, not very far from us that I knew, and it was kind of small. The only problem is, guess what happened? It grew. And she left that church. As far as I know, she's still looking for a church that does not grow where she can be. There's something really sad about that story because the future of a church like Hope Church is that a seed has been planted. It's being sustained. And folks, it's going to grow. It's in your DNA, DNA. And my final exhortation to you as a church community is don't stop. Keep believing God. Don't settle. Your future is mission and planting and sending and reaching nations with the gospel. Some of us might be just inclined to feel, well, we've done really well getting this building and we're now here and we're kind of settled. And there's a great danger at that point because God's kingdom, if it's an ever-increasing kingdom that has no end, buildings like this, which were a wonderful provision, I've, we, I love buildings, they're great. But they're means to an end, they're tools for something beyond us. And as this church community gathers in the city centre, don't ever forget that there are multitudes of people that are never going to come here. There's Judeas, there's Samarias. Where I live, our church represents at home three boroughs. There are 880,000 people in those three boroughs. 75 nations in those three boroughs. They are not all going to come to where we are. So we have, in God's heart, a plan to reach them by expansion and going out and multiplying everything that God has got for us. And that's true for you. Can we stand, please? No one told me when this meeting finished, so I have no idea. Some of us are the bane of children's workers. Father... As we now come before you, and as we sing some songs and respond, I really pray that 
even what we've shared this morning will be like a seed planted into the hearts of many. And that even weeks from now, fruit will begin to be born from what we've heard. And I want to pray for, for Christians who are struggling for whatever reason. Please will this morning be a reminder. You have never meant to do this on your own. There is a helper called the Holy Spirit who's desperate to come in and carry the load. I pray for any here in Hope Church that kind of, for one reason or other, maybe become a little bit unstuck, a bit disillusioned, wondering about everything. Please put assurance in our hearts that the church that you are building will continue to grow and flourish because that is what you've stated in your word and your promises. Just lift our hands to the Lord. If you feel able to do that, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. There is yet more seeds to be initiated and to be sustained and to grow through our lives as individuals and through us as a congregation. So we lift our hands to you, Lord. Here we are. We're open. We want you to know that this is not down to us. Even our efforts, even our passion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let's worship.